The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. This is Cutting to the Chase podcast. Today's guest is Taylor Worth, a beat writer for San Francisco Bay, covering the Giants and 49ers. We chat about covering those teams, last year's Super Bowl, and the Warriors. You can follow him on Twitter at WorthTM. Taylor, welcome to the podcast. What's up? How you been? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. I know we've been talking about it for a while. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I was curious. So um, I'll just kind of get right into it. So you are a beat writer for the San Francisco Bay, right? Covering the Niners and the Giants? Yeah, yeah. This was the first year I was double dipping with two teams. Uh, last year, I just did the 49ers. So uh, how did you kind of get started in you know, being able to, to get into that career path? Um, is it full-time or? Uh, so it's, well... The, the hours that I dedicate is full-time, but I'm not I'm not technically a full-time employee. Um, I'm still starting out in my career, but I, I kind of got started uh, just as a blog boy like years ago, just blogging for fun. Um, and then I got an internship with uh, the Bay Area, uh, the San, Fran- San Francisco Giants uh, flagship station, KMBR. And that's when I kind of started writing for a bigger outlet. And that's when I started covering games like on-site. That kind of propelled me into this job right now. So... It's it's with a smaller website, but I get full access to both these teams. I get to do some pretty pretty cool things. Um, going to the Super Bowl was pretty awesome for a first year guy pursuing journalism, so that was cool. But yeah, it, it just it started out as a hobby and kind of transitioned to a career once I realized that this is something that I want to do and something I enjoy. Yeah, that's the dream right there. So, uh, so how was it? How is it in general? I guess. I mean, you just said that it's it's relatively new, obviously. But uh, you know, you covered a team last year, and then this year with COVID and everything. So, how has it been? You know, of course, that throws a wrinkle into everything. But how has that been? Um, I think, if I'm being honest, it hasn't been. It's not nearly as fun, especially baseball uh, covering. I went to all the home games. I didn't really travel, but um, all those games, the best part, I guess, of covering any professional sport is getting uh, in-person access to like the locker room, the clubhouse, and talking to players. And that's obviously not a, a factor this year. And that's my favorite part. So it's mainly just been watching games in empty stadiums and dealing with the technical difficulties that come with Zoom calls. So it, it's it's still... You know, I get to go to games that most people don't get to go to because there's no fans allowed, so I can't complain there. But overall, it's not. It, it's been a little bit of a, a dull season so far. And then the Niners are dealing with their all their other injuries. Uh, I wouldn't even call it a Super Bowl hangover as much <laughs> as it's just a bunch of injuries, just like Super Bowl compiling. demolition. Yeah, it's so. But uh, you know, it's talking about the uh, no fans. Yeah. I think it stands out more so in baseball, at least on TV, as far as seeing just the empty stands all around. Because, you know, with football, you see mm-hmm. it, but it's not quite as forefront on your TV. And now, I guess being in the stadium, you're, you know, it's just a weird, we're all used to it, yeah. obviously, but it's just still a weird thing. You know, I still think about like, you know, it's like we're getting along normally watching games as normal as we can be, but it's still weird when you stop and think like there's no one here or there's like 200 people in the stands, it seems like. 
Right. I watching all these baseball games. Baseball is a slow sport to begin with, and right. it, you, you got to really love it to be into it. And um, what, sitting in empty stadiums, it, it it really amplifies just how slow of a game and how dull of a game it can be at times. And watching games at home, like I, I didn't watch a ton of the postseason just because I was so I was kind of burnt out on fanless baseball like it, it what makes baseball so great is the atmosphere and that postseason atmosphere and obviously that wasn't there this year but it, it was just uh it was still entertaining like if you love baseball you'll always be entertained by it but um it was definitely uh, a little bit hard to watch at times so i guess starting with baseball kind of um what are your thoughts on the giants overall i mean i know they're not quite a contender obviously to say to the least but uh I, I guess in your mind are they kind of trending in the right direction i had jeff young actually on a few uh pods ago uh got his thoughts on the giants and you know i i interned with the green jackets so i got to see guys like logan webb when he was down there in single a right. and of course he's on the big league team and you know a bunch of guys uh so I guess what's your thoughts maybe and we have an off season to go obviously but you know how how do you think the giants are kind of trending this year's hard to evaluate because they overperformed expectations and it, but it's also 60 games. So it's not, I, I, you can't really yeah. get a sense for what this team is like during a full season, but I think that they're definitely trending in the right direction. I think that they're definitely more of a competitive team than I expected them to be. I think that some of the, the, uh, the minor league deals and some of the smaller deals that Farhan Zaidi would conduct the past year or two have really paid dividends. And I think that they've overperformed what they were expected uh, to perform like. But I think overall the team is headed in a good direction. I think that next year, you know, again, it's hard to evaluate, but I think that they could be probably around a 500 ball club. Uh, maybe if things bounce their way, I think maybe a couple games over 500. But I still think they're they're not going to be that World Series competitor for probably a couple more years, at least until they get that new core. Um, you know, we saw it in 2010, 2012, 2014. The big reason they won those World Series is because of the core that they had. And right now, the new core just consists of Joey Bart. So I think a few more years until it can be a real World Series competitor. But for now, I think they're kind of middle of the pack. They'll make a little bit of noise. They may drift off towards the end of the season, but I think they're a competitive ball club. What were your thoughts on Gabe Kapler when they brought him on? And what did you think? How did you think, I guess, in a 60-game season, at least, how he did? How, you know, obviously things kind of went there. Yeah, I um, I wasn't too... At first, I wasn't too impressed by it. I don't think many people were. Um, I was at his introductory press conference in at the stadium uh, this past, I don't know, November, December or something. And Long time ago. <laughs> Yeah. And it, it was very, it was a weird, weird mood inside that, that uh, conference room. There were a lot of tough questions that he had to ask and answer for. Um, people were blasting him with uh, questions about his past and it, it wasn't very positive to begin with, but I think after seeing what they did in the shortened season this year, I think overall it was a positive experience. I think the team definitely overperformed expectations a little bit, but I think that the team really respected Kapler as a manager. And I think that he, he, he definitely um, gained a little bit of trust with the team, with the organization, and maybe even with the fans a little bit. 
but I think overall he, uh, I think he did a decent job. I think someone threw him a few manager of the year votes for like fifth or sixth place or something. But yeah, I think it was a positive year for Kapler and it started off rough, but I think when it starts off that rough, there's only one way to go when it's up. Yeah, that's true. It can only go really up at that point. So, yeah. uh, you know, I was mentioning Webb. Uh, how did you think a guy like he did and will continue to do, I guess, as he develops? And are, I guess, are there like certain prospects maybe on your mind that right away, you said Joey Bart before, but, you know, guys that are either up and coming or are already there and just continuing to develop? How do you, you know, who do you kind of look at, I guess, going forward as far as the guy that might carry that team a little bit? Right. Uh, I think with Logan, he it was a tough year for him because he he showed flashes, but every single time he would implode, it would be because of one inning. He had that one inning in all of his bad starts. And I think he was a guy that would start off great. And then something, I don't know if he has issues with um, endurance as a starting pitcher, but that one inning would sink him every single time. And I think that he definitely has shown enough to be at the big league level. I still think there's some development that needs to happen with him. Uh, I guess this year we could maybe see him start in AAA, depending on how spring training goes. But uh, he showed enough to be an intriguing piece moving forward. Uh, but there's definitely some struggles he needs to work out. But uh, I guess prospects overall, the one area that I think they might be lacking is starting pitching. They have, uh, I, I believe, Seth, Seth Corey, who was in Augusta, right, just recently. I think he's their top starting pitching prospect. And he's someone I like probably not this year, but maybe next year. But uh, I think right now, this team's farm system is really predicated on that outfield and the middle infield, I think the guys obviously with Elliot Ramos and then the the Marco Lucianos and in the middle of the infield, and then you got a few catching prospects who I don't know how that's going to work out with Joey Bart, Patrick Bailey, and then they have, they have some good guys at first base like a Logan Wyatt and uh, a few a couple other good first base prospects that I'm excited to see. But they're they're definitely a lot of these prospects are they seem to be these power hitting types and it's not something that we've seen from the giants in terms of drafting the past decade that i can remember they're definitely it seems like they're definitely shifting towards the new age of baseball with the these potential home run hitter high strikeout high high ceiling guys that we i just haven't seen much lately with this team so i think that they have some nice pieces in the outfield like i said in the infield um, but I think the one area that they do need to address that I hope they address uh, in this upcoming draft is starting pitching. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was curious, too. So obviously, Buster Posey sat out the last year with the you know COVID and everything. And I believe he had uh, twins, right? Or yeah, did he, adopt he had twins? he adopted two premature twins. Yeah. Right before the season started. Now. You mentioned, uh, you know, guys at first base. So how do you see a guy like Posey coming back, you know, into next season? You know, assuming everything goes according to plan, of course. But uh, how do you think that will kind of play out in that case? Right. Yeah, that's tricky. Um, I think what happens between Bart, Posey, and uh, Belt depends on if the DH is there next year. 
if the DH is there, I think it's a great thing for the Giants because you could have Belt at first base, you could have Bart at first base, Posey at first base, you could have Bart and Posey at catcher. Um, you can have either of them at DH. So I think that if the DH is there, I would expect to see all three of them kind of rotate rotating yeah. through those three positions. Yeah. But if not, if there's no DH, then Posey's not going anywhere. Belt's not going anywhere. So I would expect that. I believe that Bart's playing time would be limited just because he would be the, he's still technically a rookie. So he'd be the rookie behind Posey at catcher. So if you're the giants, I think you're hoping for a DH. And um, if you're a giants fan, you might even be hoping for a DH just because you want to see all those guys in the lineup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I figured the DH was here to stay and that seemed to be the vibe across the media when it first came. And then it sounded like Manfred's like, yeah, we're going to get rid of that. But keep the other stuff that no one else likes, like the extra inning rules and all that stuff. <laughs> oh my so God. Uh, obviously I, I always ask everybody when I talk baseball with people, I'm like, you know, you hate the extra inning rule, right? Or the, uh, and like, again, I get, I always throw the caveat with last, you know, the 2020 season with COVID. I get that they had to do something kind of with a shortened season. So, you know, but mm-hmm. I hate if they keep that, but uh, you know, as far as the three batter minimum, I kind of, for- I-, I didn't like that and I still don't like it, but I kind of forgot about it once it was in play right. because the pitcher just pitching, you know, and I get that no one likes watching bullpen moves and commercial breaks every five minutes, but I'm also, when I'm watching my team in the playoffs, I'm thinking win the game however you can. I don't care what you have to do. I don't care if it's a four and a half hour game. So what were your thoughts right. with that? I-, I agree. Sometimes I-, I didn't even notice it was taking place. Like. It's something that before the season, if you were to introduce it to me, I'd be like, I'm not a big fan of that. But during the games, I I hardly would notice it. So I feel like it's not it's not a huge deal. Um, I do miss or I will miss the just the strategy behind managing a bullpen. Um, Right. It may be tedious to see pitching change after pitching change, but um, that's a big reason why the Giants won World Series the year they did was because of that bullpen management. So. That, that's something that could be on its way out if this rule sticks. But like you said, it's not a big deal. Um, the one obviously I didn't like was the extra inning runner on second rule. It's funny because it's designed to speed up the game. But if you know a visiting team scores in the top of the 10th because of the rule, the home team gets that same chance. And then they score. And then all of a sudden it's tied again. And so you're kind of back to square one. So it, it I, I don't know. It, it's kind of annoying. Um, I get they needed to kind of make some changes and this was the year to experiment but that's the one rule i really noticed and i didn't like at all right yeah i'm with you there i don't think anybody i've talked to liked it now the people that might like it are the ones that are casual baseball fans and are just like yeah two and a half hour game like i get it i yeah like in hockey when they made the uh when they came out of their first lockout back in 04 they were trying different things changing the rules i remember when i was you know 12 13 games were an hour like a, a period was an hour and now a whole game is two and a half hours. And I like that. Like the changes they made, you know, baseball, it seems more, you know, I'm not like an old school guy, but I kind of have that old school mentality as like a 32 year old. Like I still kind of like the way the game, I remember it being in the nineties and all that. So when they make these changes, I'm kind of like, you know, even the intentional walk, like I wasn't really a huge fan of, but I don't care. You know, I don't care if they're just going to put up two fingers, but you know, and the off chance that the ball gets away from the catcher, you know, like a weird, fun, unique moment. but. It's just like I wasn't a fan, obviously, of the extra inning role, but I hope that they don't. I remember uh, actually I uh, Jed Hoyer, you know, the Cubs now the president 
was actually saying years ago that he'd be he'd be a fan of that extra inning role, basically, which kind of surprised me. I mean, maybe certain management guys in baseball. I mean, I get it from their perspective. They want to not ruin their bullpen for two weeks or whatever in an 18 inning game. But yeah, I'm just not a fan of it. Would you actually be in favor of ties after like 13 innings? Um, man, I that's tough because I I know that's are ties a thing in hockey. They used to be. Now they have the shootout. But I think some people would actually rather go back to ties. Yeah, shootout's so gimmicky. Right. I man, I don't know about that in baseball. I I have I've given that zero thought, but. I, I that would be a pretty dramatic change, and it would, yeah, um, right. I'm not sure I'm a fan of it either. Honestly, I, I think that you know some of my fondest baseball memories are staying up till wee hours of the night watching just horribly slow, dull games for four hours on end. So, I mean, they talk about growing the game, and they talk about making these changes to grow the game, but I don't know how much the game is going to grow until they learn to market their players. And they they can make all the changes they want, but until baseball's like on the same level as like a basketball, which I don't know if it'll ever get there, until they learn to market their players better, I don't know how much fan, how many fans you're going to attract with these little changes. So it's, yeah, I, I don't know about ties. I'd need to think about that more. Yeah, I mean, I would give me the 18 20 inning game. I mean, I get it. I get how long and boring, not boring, but yeah. I, I get how long that can be or boring in some cases, but. Uh, you know, I'd rather have that. And, you know, I remember, I remember, I, I want to say it was 2000, I think it was 2018 because mm-hmm. the Dodgers were on that historic tear all season. I remember they had a game against the Giants in September. It was like 18 innings. I think it was like on the East Coast. I'm in Virginia. <laughs> I think it was five in the morning before oh. that thing ended. So it was 2 a.m. Out, out there. But yeah, I mean, I get how brutal that can be. And if I was at an 18 inning game, I can't imagine I'd be ready for it to be done. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't want to change the game to where it's just like, yeah, and the interest it of builds time, character just to appeal to people. <laughs> yeah, just to appeal to just to appeal to the fan that's not really a fan yeah. to begin with. We're, and that's what it felt like to me. We're just trying to appeal to people that aren't even baseball fans anyway. So, you know, but uh, so I was curious too. Uh, obviously, as a, you're you were a Giants fan growing up, and of course, you work now professionally covering the team, but. Uh, what was it like? Were you going to all the games? Uh, I, I, did you have season tickets growing we, up, or how how many games uh, did you get to? We, every year, we've always gone to a bunch of games. But in 2007, we had season tickets. And that was the year that they had the All-Star game and the Home Run Derby there. And that was the Bonds year. Right. The Bond, where the, the Home Run Chase. So nice. that was obviously a great year to have season tickets. But um, the thing with that is there's, you know, there's 82 home games. And no one, I mean, most people don't go to 82 games a year. We like right now, we'd probably go to if I wasn't covering the team, probably 15 games, 20 games a year, and that's still a pretty decent amount. So, we just figured like instead of getting season tickets and paying all that money, we'll just choose which games to go to. And but that one year we did have them was pretty awesome. I imagine you probably went to a bunch of playoff games during their World Series years, going to the World Series games. What was that like? Yeah, we uh, we I think we went. In 2010, we went to a division series game. We went to, I think we went to one of each series. And then 2012, I think a couple of those games as well. 2014, a couple of those. So um, that was awesome. That was probably my first, besides 2002, which I I was probably 
I was six years old when in 2002, so I wasn't old enough to really appreciate it. So this was my first experience with like postseason baseball and the adrenaline and the the atmosphere that comes with it. Um, so that that was pretty awesome, and I went to all those parades and uh, three, you know, three and five years, you're you're pretty spoiled as a baseball fan. That so it was pretty. Uh, no, I don't think anything in terms of baseball in my lifetime will probably come close to that, just because that's so hard to do. So it was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was fun watching that because, you know, I was interning with the Squirrels. Now I was, I was like a game day intern in 2013. So uh, my internship with the Green Jackets was a lot more, you know, specific to media marketing types of things. So a little bit different experience, more in depth with Augusta. So, you know, I was dealing with interacting with the players and, and Augusta and things like that. But cool to see the team have that success around that time. So speaking of the minor league, speaking of Richmond and Augusta, I know it sounds like, you know, in the news lately, it sounds like the, the Giants are shuffling minor league affiliates a little bit. Maybe Augusta won't be that team going forward. Right. Uh, it sounds like Richmond actually might still be affiliated going forward. But um, yeah, I was I was looking that up today because I, I, I knew that was in the news recently. And uh, down there in Augusta, they're like, you know, even if we lose the Giants, we're going to have somebody, we're going to have baseball. But uh, obviously it's, I don't know if it's, directly associated or associated with this i know you know manfred was talking about uh eliminating a bunch of minor league teams and things like that so i guess it'll be interesting to see obviously how that all shakes out and in general i know it makes sense from a geographical perspective to have teams kind of you know right whether it was the nationals with richmond i think they're gonna have uh i want to say rochester now but uh yeah, it's, it, it is always kind of interesting, I guess, to me how San Francisco had a bunch of teams on the East Coast as right. well as a couple on the West Coast as well. Yeah, I, I think with minor league baseball, in terms of a, a, a talent, producing talent, I, I think that th- they'll be just fine. I think there's so many resources that they can use. And um, I, I think from producing players, it, it'll be they'll be okay. But I think with minor league baseball, that really, that sucks with, that comes with, um, you know, eliminating these teams from these, these smaller markets is I used to work for a minor league. I worked for the San Jose giants uh, okay, in college yeah. and minor league baseball is a whole different. It, it's for cities that don't have professional teams. Minor league baseball is huge and minor league baseball. If you're into it, it's a lot of fun. And yeah. I think, I don't know what the plans are, but you know, if these teams are eliminated, I think it'll hurt those cities and the fans and it'll suck, you know, for that reason. But yeah, it's, I think from a talent perspective, it's, it's not a huge deal, but I do, I do feel for those cities for sure. Yeah. Cause you know, when I was in Augusta, um, Miguel Gomez was like the first player from that team that made it to the major league level. And I don't even know where he yeah. is now. I want to say he might be like in a Mexico league or something. I don't know. He seemed to, he seemed to be, uh, do you remember the, the vibe around Gomez? He seemed to be a guy that Bochi liked at least, you know, whether it was pinch hitting or, you know, small sample, you know, I bats here and there. Yeah, I, I'm, I vaguely remember yeah. um, the conversations around him. But yeah, I, I think there was some excitement with him. I, I'm really curious to w- know where he is right now. I, I, I know. Tell I think you he, he might be like in a Mexico league or something like that. Okay. But now, you know, now of course, guys like you know Logan Webb, obviously, like like we talked about, are up there. And man, I'm trying to think of some of the other names that you know, like. Like Lucius Fox was a big was a big deal at the time, and it was really odd when he got traded when right. he did. And 
That was interesting. And I think he's with the Royals now. That was the Matt. Was that the Matt? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I remember. So (laughs) it was trade deadline day in 2016. And, um, you know, of course, we're all on alert because I, especially me, because I'm the media and uh, I go to the clubhouse and both him and Michael Santos are just sitting there and I'm like, what's up? And they're like, yeah, I think we're getting traded or I think we've gotten traded or something like that. And uh, yeah, they're going to Tampa and I drive Fox to the airport the next day and he tells me that he has like a broken foot or some kind of injury. And I didn't know that because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I get all kinds of whenever we have injuries, we get the latest update, we get guys. I was driving to the airport, getting guys all the time and sending them back. But yeah, so I was like one of the first people to find out he had an injury. And the next day on Yahoo News or Yahoo, it's all over the place. Like, yeah, Fox has an injury. The Rays are trying to nullify this deal. And it's just <laughs> like, whoa, I heard about this from the source. But interesting times. Yeah, yeah. Last year, I was in the clubhouse for... I was there before the trade deadline. And that was my first time seeing uh, kind of what the mood is in the clubhouse. And seeing after games and before... Actually, I wasn't in there much before games. But after games players on their phones and you know if the team's not doing good it's very tense and it's very quiet and um it's it was definitely interesting because but my first experience in the clubhouse where something that happened grabbed headline news was i was there when i think derek holland um he made some comments about like the front office that kind of mm. grabbed attention i don't remember exactly what they were but i was standing right there in front of him recording and he said something and i was like whoa, that's going to that's gonna be on the news. And there <laughs> there haven't been many moments like that. Like the Giants clubhouse is pretty, it, it's pretty tame, kind of boring at times. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah seeing, seeing players interact uh, before a trade deadline is interesting because they're just glued to their phones the entire time. Oh yeah, just in general. I remember all the guys would be playing cards and whatever. I always had to get a bunch of baseball signs. So it was always like, half the battle of just getting them to sign a ball, having like a bunch on the table and be like, but yeah. Oh, I remember too. So I heard that before the White Sox hired Tony La Russa, that Bruce Bochy was actually next on their list. If La Russa didn't want to go there, I didn't know if you had heard that, but I was, do you think Bruce Bochy will manage again? Because I get the feeling, I don't know if I've heard from him or not him, but I think I've heard you know, chatter that he might be trying to manage again, but I don't know if that's true or not. But I, I think I, I've definitely seen the speculation. I know people like to talk about Bochi coming out of retirement, like some of these managers have the past few years. Mm-hmm. I know he was he was going to manage one of the international teams. I think it was for the WBC, but that got pushed. That got pushed back. I, I could definitely see that happening. I think that might actually happen, but I don't know about managing in in. Uh, the major leagues again. I I was there that last season, and that was actually my first season. And I could tell that Bochi was Bochi was tired. Bochi was. Uh, it, it took a lot out of him. So I don't know if that I, I don't know if that will come to fruition in the next few years. But again, nothing would surprise me. But yeah, I, I would probably wouldn't expect that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, he's he's set. I would say for the Hall of Fame, so yeah. he probably doesn't need to do that. Speaking of the Hall of Fame, real fast, is Buster Posey a Hall of Famer? Because I always thought he was, <sighs> but now I don't know. Um, it's it's tough because his the first half of his career, where you know he came up as the Rookie of the Year, he won MVP, the World Series, he was definitely on pace for that. Um, but I do think the past few years have muddied the waters a little bit. I think that. He, I just, I don't, I got to see how he comes back first, but if he can put together a couple more 
good seasons. Maybe he he can even pull out an all-star appearance. Who knows? But if he can put together another couple for above average seasons, then I think he has a decent shot. But right now it's hard to see that just because, you know, he hasn't, he had a handful of great seasons and then he kind of, he, he, he fell off due to injury. So it wasn't entirely his fault, but if his career ended today, I probably wouldn't put him in the hall of fame, but I still think there's a track that he's on. Switching to the Niners. So uh, what's the vibe out there? I mean, I know the injuries have been, just crazy what's the vibe out there what's it been like covering those games this year covering those games it's been it's been similar to baseball to where we're not allowed in the locker room and that was probably my favorite part last year getting to know some of those guys and talking to them and but this year it's the vibe is definitely it's definitely stressful they're definitely frustrated just because everything that can go wrong is going wrong and most of it having to do with injury which is mostly out of their control it's a team that definitely still has a lot of talent and still has a Super Bowl window, but it's definitely not this year. I think this year is definitely just a throwaway year to where, you know what, stuff happened, people got injured, the team is not going to the playoffs, but it's definitely, uh, it, it revealed a lot of issues with the way that the depth on this team is constructed. I think that, you know, if they stay healthy next year. I think they'll be one of the top teams in the league and I think they can make another Super Bowl run, but you know, th- this is a team that really struggles when the ball doesn't bounce their way in all these games like it did last year. I think that this is a team that if they don't have an elite defense and if they don't have a dominant running game like they did in 2019, they're going to be a tier below what they expect to be. So I think the the blueprint for getting back on track next year is you need that pass rush. You need Nick Bosa back. You need another guy opposite of him. Um, Most of their secondary are free agents. So they're going to need to figure out how to bring some of those guys back. They need to evaluate what they're going to do with Jimmy Garoppolo. It's, it's stressful because this was a team that was expected to be in contention for a championship every single year. And now this one year, it, it it wasn't a Super Bowl hangover. It was more like a Super Bowl gut punch. And it's it definitely caught a lot of people off guard. So I think that they're definitely going to need to reevaluate and they're definitely going to need to bolster up. And it's going to be hard because the salary cap is going to be more, more, more restricted towards adding talent and re-signing guys and so they may have to cut their losses with some players and they may have to use their draft capital to regain some talent. And there's a lot of conversation about what do you do with Jimmy Garoppolo? Do you draft a rookie in the first round? Do you cut him? Do you sign someone else? And I think, like I said, the blueprint, if you can get the defense back to where they were playing or close to it in 2019, and you can continue to uh, run your offense on the ground, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is fine. He's not great. He's not going to do everything that Kyle Shanahan hopes and dreams a quarterback can do, but I think he can get the job he can get the job done. So I think that yeah, I would imagine him back next year. It wouldn't surprise me if they draft a quarterback in the later rounds. But, you know, this is a team that the scheme offensively, defensively is good. They will always be competitive and they have a lot of talent when healthy. So 
it's 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 a frustrating year, but I think moving forward, they're hopeful that they can get back to where they were. Yeah, and of course, being in the NFC, I mean, the NFC West might be the best yeah. division of football right now with Arizona and Seattle and the Rams are having a bounce back. So, I mean, it's just, now maybe the expanded playoffs helps. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't really thought about it too much, but I'm wondering if a whole division could make it to the playoffs with the way that honestly, expanded. Honestly, I, I think about it this year, and I think if the 49ers were healthy, I, I think that the whole division would definitely be in the hunt toward in the last week of the season. I think that 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 could definitely be possible because right now it's it's seven teams total from each league that make it the four division winners and then three wild card I believe so that would allow for technically if the math is there for all teams in the division to make it but uh, that's something I think we have to wait until next year to see unfortunately yeah I was in you know it's funny so um you probably heard or saw it that Kyler Murray mentioned this past I think it was this past week that he actually still misses baseball too and so I mean you cover the Giants and you're you know probably more focused on the Giants obviously but uh I guess being in that Bay Area do you I'm sure you hear a lot of A's news but I don't know if you follow or keep up with it as much but I guess what was the vibe with Murray out there and then of course he went to the NFL but uh when he got drafted and everything with the A's. Yeah, I I try and tune in as much A's stuff as I can. I think that I'm trying to remember when he when he decided. I think the conversation was I remember a few A's fans being frustrated and a few um not being happy with the move just because they lost a top prospect, but I think overall I think the team moved pretty quickly away from Murray and then obviously they're a good team now. They're in the playoffs. They got a lot of talent, so uh, I think obviously they would have loved to have him, but I, I think they're doing just fine without him. So I think it's kind of in the rearview mirror now. Man, the A's are just a snake bit team in the playoffs. They're just like the Twins, like they, it's like yeah. they're an easy team to root for. At least think about the whole like Moneyball, all that stuff. But then you get to the playoffs, and right. then it's just same old story. It seems like so. Yeah, yeah. I, the A's are. I think they're a team that's always going to be in the hunt, but yeah, they're not a team that's ever going to completely tear down and go through a five-year process of, you know, rebuilding and, and building back up. They're always going to be, you know, either a couple pieces away or a couple pieces short. And they're going to be there. There's, there's two extremes. They're either going to be at the top. They're going to be at the very bottom. And so they're never going to be transitioning. They're always going to be good or bad, good or bad. So I think, you, they're a team you can always rely on being in the hunt every couple of years, every few years. So, especially lately, they've been you know a very good team. They were those years where they would just get off to a horrible start, mm-hmm. and then they would just catch fire. You know. Yeah. Also, real fast, I wanted to get your thoughts on the Warriors. Do you follow the Warriors a lot? Are you a big fan? Or yeah, uh, they're probably in terms of how much I follow, probably my third team in terms of I guess time I dedicate to them. But yeah, it was it was a <laughs> an exciting week, but also a very frustrating week obviously because of clay tom it's i i kind of have a hot take about the warriors where uh, when they were so dominant with kevin durant they were winning almost every single game and at times it was you know a blowout in back-to-back-to-back-to-back games and i kind of am excited about this season just because they're scrappy they're not going to be that dominant uh you know Want the best team in the league where they just blow out teams every game. So they're going to have to scrap and claw. And I remember my fondest memories of the Warriors were back in the old days, the We Believe days, and then the right before they got Durant, where they were a good team, but not the top 
two teams. So they had to scrap and they had to claw and they had a lot of fight in them. And I think with this team, I have no idea how they're going to perform. They got a couple new pieces with Wiseman and uh, Kelly Obrey. But um, I, I think that it could be exciting to see them back in that position where they're not expected to just dominate everyone and run through the whole league. So uh, that's kind of the one thing I look forward to this year is hopefully getting back to a place where they're competitive and where they're, you know, where there's a lot of emotion surrounding the team again. Yeah, I kind of assumed, like when I was talking with Jeff a few weeks ago or so, um, I was, you know, I was like, well, if they're healthy, they should be one of the top contenders mm-hmm. again. He was a little bit more, he was like, I hope so. I don't know. And then, of course, they lose Clay, which doesn't right. help. But, uh, before losing Clay, I mean, would you have assumed, I mean, I guess similar to, to the Niners with all the injuries that they had, would you have assumed like, yeah, they'll be right back to being a top, you know, contender basically? Yeah, I think in the NBA, it's definitely, you can feel more confident about a team's playoff chances just by looking at the roster before the season. So if they, if they had Steph and Clay and Draymond and they, you know, they got a guy like Andrew Wiggins and Eric Pascal and then a couple other you know, decent depth guys. I think they definitely would have secured a playoff spot. And I look at the roster now with, with Steph and Draymond and Aubrey and Wiseman and Wiggins. And I think they're definitely, I, I would feel confident about expecting them to make the playoffs. Um, just because in the NBA, there's, there's a lot of teams that do. And I think that as long as Steph Curry's on the court and even Draymond, I think they're going to be, competitive in every single game and i think they're probably going to be a winning team and in the nba if you're a winning team chances are you're going to the playoffs so i i would expect another playoff run but again it's really hard to evaluate just how good this team is just because we haven't seen them play since march when the league shut down so (laughs) it's who knows how steph is going to be you know not playing for so long and then you throw in a couple new guys and what's the dynamic like and what's the fan because this is a team that feeds off the fans and the crowd and i covered a few games this year at the new chase center and this was the year where you know steph and clay were hurt they didn't have durant and they were running five guys who sometimes weren't even on the team the year before and the atmosphere was definitely not what they had hoped for chase center was definitely flat (laughs) it was definitely a little bit flat so i think and now we don't even know if fans will be at games um so this team if they don't have that fan energy i think it's going to be even more difficult but there's so many question marks it's hard to really put a put a pin in what we can expect from them this year. You know, talking about fans, I keep thinking how weird it's going to be at the Super Bowl because there's no way it's going to have the same environment that we are so accustomed to. And speaking of that, what was it like being at the Super Bowl last year covering the Niners? Were you there for the entire, what, two weeks or one week? Yeah, I was there for one week. Super Bowl week was actually really exciting because there were so many, just every day we had media press conferences at this hotel in downtown Miami. And that was pretty normal just because I'm talking to the same guys I've talked to all year. But they had, it's literally like a week-long party. And they had like red carpet events where random old me could even attend and just watch. And um, they had, you know, just these little parties in downtown Miami. And it was it was very festive and it was very exciting. And there was a lot to do. And it was it was a week-long event. And the game was probably, I've never experienced 
an atmosphere that loud and that energetic going to any any game in any sport and it's the super bowl so of course it's going to be loud but it was they they had a because they had so much media they had the press box full of media and then they had a they made an outdoor press area with tables like right behind the end zone where a few a couple hundred media members sat it was in the open air you were sitting in the crowd um first time i've ever done something like that and i kind of preferred it just because you in a press box you don't get to hear the crowd it's you're in a silent glass case and the super bowl was actually really cool because you were in the middle of the crowd and it was loud and it was hard to work but it was uh it was really cool and i had a great view and then uh after the game it was actually really really depressing because going in the locker room uh to a team that just blew their chances of winning a super bowl it was very hard to talk to those people because no one wanted to talk to you guys were crying guys were very short with their answers it was it was very weird so i think i left the stadium at like 1 a.m or something but it was it was a great experience and definitely something that not a lot of people get to do their first year covering a team so it was it was pretty awesome definitely something i'll remember for a long time yeah i can imagine you know you were a fan of these teams growing up and now you're watching them but you're professional and trying to be objective so it's got to be tough even yeah watching the Niners and losing in that Super Bowl late like that had to be tough for sure that's hard because with with the Niners I when you're thrown into it and when you're doing it for a job it you adjust and you get used to it and you can do it um but the one thing that is kind of unfortunate actually is with the Giants baseball I covering so many games, I've kind of lost the emotion behind following a team. Like, you know, the Giants could lose 50 games in a row. And unfortunately now, like, I probably wouldn't care just because I'm forced to just be there no matter what and be objective. And I've kind of lost that spark with the Giants, if I'm being honest. But um, yeah, it, it's it's definitely weird having the balance, uh, you know, covering teams that you are a fan of. The Niners, I still have that that fan side of me that I have to suppress every once in a while, but the giants I've definitely kind of detached emotionally from, which is very surprising given how uh, much of a fan I was the past few years. I wonder if, you know, I mean, I think it's, that's really good though, that you are able to kind of flip that switch, obviously, you know, and being mm-hmm. able to, do what you're doing professionally, but I, I, I guess I wonder too. Like maybe once the Giants are back in like the playoff, the pennant race, maybe you'll kind right. of feel that excitement a little bit. That buzz. Yeah, I I try and remember this season and even last season when both in both seasons they had a month where they were just utterly dominant. Like last July, when 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 Alex Dickerson came on the scene, the team was in the playoff hunt, and this year they were in the playoff hunt the whole year. And even when they were at their peak. I was still kind of just like, yeah, you know, if they win, it's whatever. If they lose, it's whatever. And um, so, yeah, I, like you said, I'm curious to know how I feel when the team is dominant again. But yeah, right now, even in, during their successes and failures, I was kind of just like stone faced. Yeah, I can I can only imagine what it was like to, you know, be at the Super Bowl or covering a Super Bowl. And uh, one last question I was just thinking about, too. Uh, are you the youngest uh, around the press boxes out, out there? Let's see. In terms of Giants, I'm one of the youngest. There's definitely a few um, in the press box who are around my age. There's there's one kid who's, I think he he started covering like his junior year of high school. Like he had he had press credentials. He was definitely the youngest. Um, 
shout out to Sam Pasco, but uh, yeah, he, he was definitely the youngest. And I think in baseball and football, I'm definitely a, a crowd, maybe of four or five, that are early twenties um, roaming around that press box with a bunch of older guys, a bunch of guys who, you know, keep score, a bunch of guys who have their old, like these old, thick laptops who aren't used to social media and you know the, the older guys in the media that we all know of um it's interesting to watch them work but yeah i'm definitely not the only one but i'm one of few and i'm glad i'm there's other guys in there because we all kind of help each other yeah navigate about around that. navigate around press boxes and um you know press etiquette and learning all these things from um being around these older guys so I'm definitely glad there's other guys my age. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, yeah, this was great. Yeah, anytime. It was, it was a lot of fun. The theme music for this podcast is courtesy of my guy, John Christian. He has a band called Let It Sleep. It's on Spotify. You can catch this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Go ahead, rate it five stars, leave a review. Three, two, one, zero.